All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a Daily Power Parsha, Thursday, April 7th. And today we continue the theme of ritual purity and impurity. We've talked about Tzarat over the last week and a half. We've talked about this uh, spiritual malady, Tzarat, the uh, leprosy-like condition that renders a person impure, um, requires them to leave the camp for a while until they heal, and then uh, go through a whole ritual, a a very elaborate process of of healing and, and purification. And we kind of summarized it over the last few days. Then we talked about Surat on houses, on a home. And we, we discussed what you do if you notice something on the home. You call the Kohen. The Kohen, before the Kohen comes, you clear out the house of all the items. The Kohen diagnoses it, says, yes, it looks, it looks suspicious. We've got to quarantine this thing. It comes back in seven days. If it spreads, you've got to remove the stones. Re, re, and the plaster and, 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 and rebuild it. If it spreads after that, you've got to demolish it. If it doesn't, then it's healed, it's good to go, and then you bring some offerings and some, uh, there's a ritual that follows. But that, that was the tzarat that afflicts the homes. And here, what we do, the Torah kind of summarizes, once again, the conversation. So this is Mitzorah, reading number six, sorry, reading number five for Thursday. And here, again, as I just mentioned, the Torah summarizes the discussion. All this is the law for every lesion of Tzarat and for a netek. So Tzarat is one that goes on the skin. Netek is a Tzarat lesion that appears by the hair. Um, and this is also the law for Tzarat of garments and houses and for Se'et and for Se'pachat and for Baharet, different types of splotches and blotches and streaks to render decisions regarding the day of of uncleanness and the day of cleanness, this is the law of Tzorat. The Torah definitively summarizes it. It's kind of interesting that it's the beginning of a reading, which is, you would think that this would come at the end of yesterday's reading to kind of close out a reading. And indeed, as you see with the chapter numbers, when the chapter numbers were made, not by Jewish scholars, but nonetheless, they do have these verses concluding chapter 14. But in the Jewish tradition, this begins a reading, and then we segue into a different topic. Why? I don't know, but it's definitely, a, uh, definitely something to think about. Rashi, there's one Rashi here, um, to render decisions regarding the day of uncleanness. What does that mean? I.e., to determine which day renders it clean and which day renders it unclean. In other words, these are all the laws that tell you when it's unclean when it's clean, how long you have to wait, how long the quarantine is, etc. All of these are the laws. Okay, so that closes out the Torah's discussion of Tzarat. We can move on to the next topic. The next topic are other scenarios that render a human being impure. Now we know if you come in contact with a dead body, you come in contact with an unclean animal, a dead carcass, etc., renders a person impure. But there are other conditions that are not external, but are what we would call, I guess, more internal. In other words, it's what the body is doing that renders a person impure. So here we go. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, If any man has a discharge from his flesh, his discharge is unclean. In other words, that discharge, and this is talking about a, 
as uh, the commentators point out, this is a, um, an unhealthy discharge um, uh, from a man that that discharge, the actual fluid, is, is unclean, is, is, is tummy, is impure. And this shall be the nature of his uncleanness due to his discharge. If his flesh runs with his discharge, or if his flesh is plugged up by his discharge, that is his uncleanness. Any bedding, and we're, we're going to look at Rashi and all this stuff, any bedding upon which the man with the discharge will lie shall become unclean, and any object upon which he will sit shall become unclean. So the person, not only himself, is unclean due to this discharge, but if he lies down in a bed and sits down in a chair, whatever it is, that thing that he is on top of also becomes impure. Unclean doesn't mean, of course, physically unclean. It means spiritually impure. And a man who touches his bedding, in other words, another party, somebody else touches the bedding, so that person shall immerse his garments and immerse himself in water and he remain unclean until evening. He has to go to mikvah. And anyone who sits on an object upon which the man with the discharge will sit shall immerse his garments and immerse himself in water and he shall remain unclean until evening. So again, we're talking about degrees of tumah, degrees of impurity. And the Torah says something pretty wild and that is that somebody, if a man is produ- his body is producing this discharge which is impure, spiritually impure, and then he sits, he lies down on a bed, so the bed is impure, okay? What if someone else lies down on the bed? Now they're impure. You wish, with me, it's, it's contagious on some level. Now, it doesn't go on forever, right? If that person that went into the bed that the other guy slept in, if he touches someone else, he gives a handshake, does that guy also become impure? It seems like that's where it stops, right? The guy who's impure lies on the bed. Someone else lies in the bed or sits in the bed. They become impure. It seems like that's where it ends as of right now in the conversation. But the important thing is that this can spread. It's, again, I use the word contagious, right? Um, individual number one is impure, lies down in bed two, Bed two is touched by individual number three. I'm just giving like one, two, three. That individual becomes impure. It, it transfers from one to two to three. Back inside, and again, we're going to go through rashes on this soon. Um, so if anyone touches the bedding, not even lies down, touches the bedding or sits on the object, that third party or second party, but third step becomes impure as well. And anyone who touches the flesh of, a, of the man with a discharge, in other words, direct contact with the one who's impure, that person also becomes impure. And they shall immerse their garments, and immerse, he shall immerse his garments and immerse himself in water, and he shall remain unclean until evening. He's got to go to the mikvah. And if the man with the discharge spits upon a clean person, now that's, okay, wow. He's spitting on a, clean, on a, on a person who's, who's pure. Why would he spit on the person? We don't know, but if he spits on that person, that person becomes impure. I'm adding that, right? Shall immerse his garments and immerse himself in water, and he shall remain unclean until evening. He becomes tame, impure. So it transfers, again, there's different ways that this tumma, this impurity can transfer. Either this person lies down on a bed and someone else touches the bed, sits down on an item and someone else sits down on the item, 
touches someone else or spits on someone else. Not recommending you spit on someone else. Just saying if that's what happens, then that person becomes, that, that, the second person becomes impure as well. Any riding gear upon which the man with the discharge will ride becomes unclean. Riding gear like a saddle. Straight up. And whoever touches anything that will be under him becomes unclean until evening. In other words, if, you, if anything is under where this fellow is sitting, all of that becomes unclean. And whoever lifts them up shall immerse his garments and immerse himself in water, and he shall remain unclean until evening. If you lift up the saddle from the horse that this guy sat on, welcome to the state of Tuma, the state of um, uh, impurity. And whomever the man with the discharge touches, without the latter having rinsed his hands, shall immerse his garments and immerse himself in the waters, and he shall remain unclean until evening. Let's do one more verse and go back. And an earthenware vessel. Now you know about earthenware vessels, right? Earthenware vessels, whatever happens to them, they always get stuck in that status. In other words, if they absorb something, they don't, they don't, the absorption never leaves. So an earthenware vessel which the man with the discharge shall touch, that earthenware vessel shall be broken because he can't kosher it. And any wooden vessel shall be rinsed in water and that purifies it. So you can, you can kosher, if you will. You can purify the wooden vessel, but you can't purify the earthenware vessel once it takes in the impurity, gets stuck and locked in there forever. The only way around it is to break it and then it's done. Okay, we got a lot to talk about in Rashi. Let's jump in. I know we're not done with the reading yet. We still have some more verses. Um, the verse, the, the, sub, the last few verses talk about the purification process of the fellow with the discharge. But so far, it's a it fascinating conversation about how many, um, how many degrees of, of, of impurity are born of one scenario. So let's read Rashi. Rashi clarifies what type of discharge are we talking about? Um, and Rashi clarifies, one might think that if he had a discharge from any place in the body, he becomes unclean. Therefore, it says from his flesh, meaning not all his flesh. And ultimately, just, just let's keep on moving over here. He says, in the case of a man who has a discharge from the very place in his body from which he has be, from which he becomes unclean with a minor degree of uncleanness, namely carry a seminal discharge, he becomes, becomes unclean with a major discharge of uncleanness, namely ziva, an, ab, an abnormal discharge. So what's interesting here is like this. What we're talking about is, right, different flows. Okay, so there are discharge. There is a discharge that is... Uh, I would say a more natural discharge, which would be the seminal discharge, and then, or emission. And then there is the, the ziva, or the zav discharge, which is an unhealthy, I believe sometimes it's referred, the translation would be an unhealthy venereal discharge. I don't know if that term is accurate, but if it is, then that's what I, I recall seeing in translations. An unhealthy venereal discharge. So it's not a, it's not a, it's not a typical um, Seminal discharge is something different. Um, and so that's what we're talking about in this reading. When we talk about um, if a man has a discharge, we're talking about an unhealthy discharge from that place of the body, etc. Okay. Um, 
Interesting. So the discharge is unclean, Rashi says, apart from the discharge rendering the man unclean, this teaches that the discharge itself is also unclean. That even one drop of this discharge would defile other people and vessels would, would render them um, impure. And Rashi, uh, Rashi gets into the difference between the discharge and semen. Like, what's the difference between that? Okay, Rashi breaks it down based on the, the actual um, substance, consistency, etc., which we're not going to get into. All right, let's continue. Um, the discharge, if it runs. So, like saliva, Rashi says, which comes out clear. Yeah, so it's a clear, this is the type of clear discharge. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, and then Rashi cites a Midrashic explanation of what does it mean that his flesh is plugged up. Let's just read the, the regular explanation, that the discharge comes out thick and thus seals up the orifice of the members, so that his flesh is plugged up on account of a drop of his discharge. Okay, so either it's, right, it's different forms of the discharge. In either case, it causes a state of impurity. Okay, let's move on. I mean, Rashi gets into the, into, into the nitty-gritty of this, but we're going to... For the sake of, uh, of moving on, we're going to move on over here. And what's the halacha? What's the bottom line? If that's what happened, what's the law? So any betting upon which... It sounds like some of these people need to go to the doctor. Yes, it does. It does sound like a doctor's visit is in order. Correct. I would not disagree with that. And there's also a spiritual idea here as well. It seems to be also a spiritual ramification of this of this um, scenario. Now, what's interesting, you know what, because you raise a good point. You know, when it came to Tsaras, we said, oh, it's not leprosy, it's a spiritual malady. The, the question is, are we saying the same thing here? Or are we saying that if something, someone has an unhealthy bodily uh, discharge, right? if a man has an unhealthy bodily discharge, in addition to needing a doctor, there's also a spiritual ramification as well, as I just said. Or are we suggesting it's not a doctor, it's a spiritual condition? I don't believe, I, I don't believe, I'm not sure, but I don't believe that this is discussed in the same way as Tzorat, as being something that's completely spiritual, even though it manifests as physical, it's all about the spiritual. I don't know that this is the same thing. Like, if you would ask me, so what impropriety, what act of impropriety leads to this? I don't know what I could say because I don't remember, I don't recall, you know, Tzorat is born of Lush and Hara. What, what's this? What's the cause of this? Or is it just something physical that also renders one impure spiritually? And I think it's the latter. It's the latter. Because uh, there are other parallels as well. Listen, the, sa- the same applies for women also. There's forms of, of, of impurity um, that have spiritual impurity that 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 happens with um, that happens vis-a-vis women, and it's not for impropriety. It's just nature, right? It's just the natural the natural cycle, etc. So it's not it, it's not in all case. It's not that in all cases of 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 of, of spiritual impurity is it born of some sort of indiscretion. Sometimes it is what it is. Like we started last week's Torah portion, a woman who gives birth, she's impure. 
Why? Something bad happened? What sin did she do? Nothing. Nothing. The life was, you know, life was displaced. So the same thing is with a man. And by the way, a seminal discharge also renders a person, a man, in a state of impurity. And that's not even an unhealthy situation, but it's a, it's a minor state of impurity. And then um, this type of unhealthy discharge renders one, renders the man in a, in a more acute state of impurity that can also um, cause others and other things to become impure. It has more... Um, to not mix metaphors, it has more legs to this type of impurity. Anyway, be that as it may, I don't know that we have to find some impropriety here. I think it's just something that is born of the sort of the natural or biological, I don't know if it's natural, but the, the biological um, element. And you're right, probably a doctor's visit, and that's just circling all the way back. Probably that's not a contradiction to this. Right? If somebody would go see a doctor for Torah, we would say you're avoiding the issue, right? It's about Lashon Hara, it's about speaking ill of others. Don't go see a dermatologist before you fix that up. In this case, you might want to you might want to do both, right? You might want to you know, go to the mikvah and you know check that out. Have that uh, have that checked out. So back inside, what does it do to the bedding? It renders unclean the bedding. So Rashi says, one might think that this would include even if it was designated for another purpose. Scripture therefore says upon which the man will lie. It doesn't say upon which the man lay in the past tense, but rather in the future tense will lie, which is always designated for this. It excludes the object about which they say to him, get up and let us do our work for which purpose it was designated. In other words, if he, um, yeah, if he lies down on something that's not a bed, it does not become impure. That's what Rashi is saying. It's only something that is designated as bedding like a mattress and blankets and whatever, pillow. Like It's only if he lies down on actual bedding that that becomes impure. The same thing is true with what he sits upon. Although, again, you know, the Torah says any bedding or any object that he sits upon, so it sounds like it's whatever he touches. Rashi clarifies, and it's obviously from the Midrash and Talmud, uh, not exactly. Just as the case above of the bedding, it does not say upon which he sat, but upon which he will sit, which refers to an article that is always designated for this. It has to be like a chair or a bench that is designated for sitting, and then it becomes impure. It sounds like if he, you know, just pulls over a milk crate or, you know, sits on, I don't know, a dinner mat, you know, it doesn't necessarily, it sounds like, doesn't, doesn't become impure. All right. Now, oh, look at this. The man, if another person touches the bedding, so that person and his garments become impure, Rashi says this teaches us that the uncleanness of bedding is more stringent than uncleanness caused by touching an object. In other words, if this Zav, he's called the Zav, the guy with the discharge, if this guy with the unhealthy venereal clear runny or not runny discharge touches an item, it becomes impure. If he lies down on bedding, it also becomes impure. But the bedding impurity is more strict more stringent than the touching impurity, insofar as the as this a bedding or a seat becomes an av hatuma, which means it becomes a major source of uncleanness, which can defile a person to render his garments unclean. Whereas touching an object which is not bedding, that object only becomes a vlad tuma, a secondary source of uncleanness, a degree less than an avatuma, and it can defile only food and drink, but not people or objects. So there's different. This gets into a major topic in halacha, which is. Avtuma and, and, and Vladtuma, certain things are considered primary objects of impurity and certain things are considered to be secondary objects of impurity. And a primary object of impurity 
renders other things impure in a different way than secondary objects of impurity. So a primary object of impurity can render something else impure to, so that if the person touches, for example, they're impure and their garments are impure if you touch that primary element of impurity. But if you touch a secondary element of impurity, the secondary element of impurity only, or object of impurity, only renders food and drink impure and not people or other things. It depends on what the status is. So if you have the Zav, this guy, with the discharge, if he touches something, okay, I have something here. If touches something, right, touches it, this becomes impure. But what level? Secondary, which means it only renders impure food or drink that it touches, not people or objects. But if this was bedding, if this was a bed, I know it's a phone, but if it was a bed, and the guy at the Zav lies down on the bed, this becomes, the bedding becomes a primary source of impurity, that can then cause other people and their clothing and animals, etc., to become impure as well. Okay, I said animals. I meant people or, or other things, not animals. Uh, maybe also animals. Uh, that's what Rashi says. So these are very important laws. Well, okay. Today, we're all impure. <laughs> we're all, we don't have a temple. We don't have, we have a mikvah, but, you know. By the way, so you know, this is one of the reasons why many men have the custom to go to mikveh every day. Because, again, whether it's healthy or unhealthy, whether it's natural or, or, or you know, when I say unnatural, I mean like uh, something wrong, either way, a discharge could render, it renders one in a state on some level of impurity. And therefore, therefore even today, many individuals, many men will go to mikveh every single morning, etc. As a, just as a as a thing. Okay, next. Um, here we go. Anyone? I have a question. Yes. So, but if they go every morning, are they, they're still unclean till the evening? Yeah, look, it's not really, look, these were laws that were for the temple and for ritual items, which we don't have. It's just about, you know, like an extra stringency of, you know, of purification. But you're right. You're right. It's pending until evening. Correct. But the laws are not exactly the same. I mean, it's not, in other words, when I say not exactly the same, what I mean is the stakes are not the same, right? The stakes are not, are not, are not identical as it once was. So the, the need for purity versus impurity, you know, what's the need for that? What's really the need, you know, on that level? Because you couldn't go to the temple. Who's going to the temple, Right. Um, they're supposed to be in the real world, you know, acting in the real world. So that's how, like Joy said, we become impure as soon as we step out, right? Well, no, I think Joy was saying literally, um, it says over here, it remains unclean until evening. I think what uh -huh. you're saying is after the mikvah, you may need to go right. again, right? So, but, right. but I think, right. So, but I think, so it's two different, two different points. I think both are, both have their place. Um, the one exception, by the way, would be women as a as a as an obligation today, like back in the day, that would be women for the monthly mikvah for the monthly mikvah cycle, which is a which is a mitzvah that that um, that is relevant to acts of intimacy. So whereas this for the guy. It's just the state of uncleanliness that, you know, he needs to take care of, especially when there was a temple, etc. And guys, again, do today as well. 
But for the woman with her um, state of impurity, which again is not, it's not uncleanness, it's just a natural thing on the, you know, every month. So that is, that would, the relevance there is for the purpose of intimacy, which is why, of course, we have a mikvah. Many, many have the, even if they don't go to mikvah every month, etc., they go to mikvah before the wedding. That's where that, that's where that mikvah comes into play. So there are elements of mikvah that are very, very relevant today, mainly for the laws, what we call taras and mishpacha, family purity. Okay. By the way, at some point, we're going to do this mikvah crawl and hear more about a mikvah, the women's mikvahs here in Atlanta, and check that out because that's a fascinating, uh, fascinating thing. Okay. Let's check... but. Don't worry, I won't be leading that. We'll have uh, the the women, the women, we'll have uh, appropriate uh, guides for that. Now, let's continue with the Rashis. So anyone who sits on an object, the verse says, so um, anyone who sits on the object upon which that man with the discharge will sit, they become impure. Okay, so Rashi says, even if he, the second party, did not touch it, even if there were 10 objects, one on top of the other, and the man with the discharge just sat on the top one. Reminds me of um, Bartholomew. No, wasn't there some sort of Bartholomew? I don't know. Anyway, so even if, imagine, 10 um Objects. Imagine 10 seat cushions, one on top of the other. And you sit down on the top one. The one all the way on the bottom also becomes in a state of impurity. That's because of the laws of Moshev, which means the uncleanness concerning seats. Thus, just as the man with the discharge defiles the bottom seat of the pile without touching it, so too a clean man can become defiled by the bottom seat without touching it if he sits on that stack or if he sits on just that one, the bottom cushion or whatever it is, the bottom seat becomes impure. And the same thing applies to the beds. If you have theoretically had a lot of bedding or mattresses on top of each other, the bottom one becomes impure as well. And anyone who not even touches the bottom one, but even sits on the bottom one, becomes impure as well. Okay. Now, if a man with the discharge, if the man with the discharge spits upon a clean person, Rashi says, and he touches it or lifts it up without touching it. For saliva defiles if lifted up, even without direct contact. So, I'm going to say bizarre-ish, right? If someone... I mean, I'm trying to figure out a scenario, the scenario here, right? So the dude with the discharge is spitting, and someone touches it, or even without touching it, lifts it up. Maybe a scenario could be, oh, I thought of a scenario, right? What about a tissue, right? What about a tissue? Think about it, right? Somebody, whatever, spits into a tissue or whatever it is, right? And, and, and this guy with the impurity does that, right? Um, what's the lesson? What's the, what, 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 how, expect, uh, expectorates or something? Something like that? Yeah, Some, something from the mouth. And then, you know, it's sitting there on a tissue or whatever. And then somebody else lifts it up. 
gross, right? Whatever. We're not judging the scenario. Just what? What's the? So what do you do? Even without touching the saliva, even if it, the guy just lifts it up, that renders them impure. More of the story. Don't clean up someone else's tissues. Boom. See, saving you potential impurity. Practical, you know, practical wisdom from DPP. That's that's what we aim. That's what we strive to do here at DPP. Practical wisdom. You, buddy, you clean up your own tissues. I'm not lifting any dodgy saliva. I don't know where that's been or what. COVID got us more in tune with that too. COVID is perfect, right? I mean, I don't mean COVID is perfect. I mean, yes, perfect example. Talk about, first of all, all the themes, right? Quarantining we had the last few days. We have the idea of things transmitting from one to the other to the other. Yeah, I mean, remember beginning of COVID, we were disinfecting deliveries and shopping, uh, washing the groceries. The CDC later on said, you know, all that was, you know, we didn't need to. But who, listen, who knew back then? It was all hazmat suits for days. We were all, everyone was all in on that, right? I mean, I spoke to the, my good friend of mine is a doctor in Manhattan, ER doctor, and he diagnosed patient zero at, um, one of the major hospital systems, like um, NYU is Hospital. Is that the one that gave the presentation here? No, 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 no. He no, that's another guy. Um, but this guy at NYU Hospital, he diagnosed their patient zero, and man, he said straight up they were they were wearing Ebola suits, like the same, you know, the same full on stuff that you would wear for, you know, those um, diseases. I mean, they he, they were wearing and. Um, What's my point? My point is that things can transmit and things do transmit and impurity is the same way. Things transmit, right? This guy sits on a, sits on a stack of chairs. Bottom chair is out. Someone else touches that or sits on it, out of the game, right? You're impure. Not out of the game, but like impure, right? Someone spits and you touch it, impure. Spits and you lift up the spit. How? Who knows? Magically, maybe through another uh, tissue. Mark is shaking his head. Mark, look what you just walked into. You just walked into a discussion about lifting up someone else's spit. That person had a, a, an unhealthy venereal discharge and thus is impure. There you go. You walked into the trifecta. But one second, Donna, jump in. Yeah, I mean, we also have the spiritual equivalent because of, you're familiar with the story, the princess and the pea. So there was a, you know, it's a fable. It's, I feel like I, it rings a bell, but not... Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's like a hundred mattresses yeah. you know, stacked up, and there's a pee at the, you know... And she's complaining or something? No, the oh. well, trying to find a mate, I think, that can be sensitive to the pee. So that's kind of like, you know, can feel the pee through that... Got it, okay. Yeah, clearly so I don't know the plot. A, clearly I, I know tool. Clearly, I know the setup, but not where, the, where it goes. I remember yeah, the matches so with the pee, but yeah. Right, so it's kind of a spiritual equivalent, right? Correct. You, well, they got. I, I just choose to see that they that they got it from Torah. Obviously, right. they, where do you get such shit? Gifts to the world. There you go, Mark. Jump in. No, I was just going to say years ago when I was studying Talmud with Rabbi Kunis, and we were studying track the first in Brachot, we were studying what Bob Carey. I said, "How about a T-shirt that says ask me about Bob Carey anyway?" Just yeah, to- or not. Or not. <laughs> By the way, Balkari is, is is not even what we're talking about. We're talking about Zav, which is different. Balkari is is what we would call healthy seminal discharge. This is talking about unhealthy, oh, unhealthy. unhealthy. Yes, uh, but it's a whole it's a whole thing. It's a whole okay. thing. 
Anyway, okay. all right. So basically, I don't want your cooties. Correct, <laughs> correct. That's something that started off in kindergarten and still should remain till today. Exactly. All right, Job, jumping back inside. So any riding gear also becomes included. The guy with the discharge, right, the guy with the unhealthy venereal discharge, uh, that he ri any riding gear upon which that guy rides becomes unclean. Rashi, although he did not sit on it, for example, the saddle bow, the saddle bow. What's a saddle bow? Saddle bow. You got me. What do I know? Ask me the last time I rode a horse. It's been a while. Right? Saddle bow? Is that the thing that you hold on to in the front? I don't know. I, I have a note. It says, in modern French, are shown to sell the rounded upward projecting front part of the saddle uh, onto which a rider holds. Oh, uh, I was right. It's that front part of the saddle that you hold on to. So even if you didn't sit on it, that also becomes unclean because of America of riding gear. However, the saddle itself, called whatever in Old French, a board connecting the two uprights of a saddle or saddle girth, belly band, oh my gosh, these become unclean because of motion of a seat. Ah, there's different levels, there's different categories. There's mishkav and moshav, there's riding and sitting. And each one is a little bit different as far as the impurity. Okay, complicated. Hashtag complicated. 10. Verse 10, Rashi. Um, all right, Rashi. Whoever touches anything that will be under him, under the man with the discharge, this verse comes to teach us about riding gear, that anyone touching it, the riding gear becomes unclean. He is, however, not required to immerse his garments. This is a feature of the strangely of Mishka as opposed to Merkov. Good. There you go. When you sit... It render when you sit on something and then someone else touches it, their garments become impure. When you ride, Merkov, as Rashi just differentiated before, when you ride on something, okay, I, then it renders the other person impure, but not their garments. I feel like I need to slow this down for uh, just a half a second for clarity's sake. When you're riding a horse and you have a saddle, you're sitting on the saddle, correct? Is it, is it the same as sitting on a chair? Or it does that have a different status? And the answer is it has a different status. Sitting on a chair is sitting. Riding on a saddle is riding. Even though you're sitting also when you ride. I get it. You're in a sitting position. It's not called sitting. It's called riding. Then you're going to ask the question, who cares? Call it what you call it sitting. Call it riding. Who cares? The answer is halakhically it's different. Because when you sit on something and then someone else touches that thing, they become impure and their garments are, their clothes also become impure. But when you ride on something and someone else touches it, then only they become impure, but the garments do not become impure. So therefore, we need to define what's considered sitting, what's scenarios, and what's considered riding. If there's a saddle involved, it's most likely discussing riding and not sitting. All right, back inside. Back inside, Rashi. Uh, yeah. Whoever lifts them up, Rashi says, any of the items mentioned above in this passage discussing the loss of a man with a discharge, namely his discharge, saliva, his semen, his urine, his bedding, riding gear, or seat, anything that the, anything of this guy, of the bodily fluids, or what this guy sat on or rode on, anything that's lifted up, if any of these items is lifted, it defiles the person who lifted it together with his garments. There you go. Rabbi Ari? Yeah. 
there's a note in Rashi that says, uh, whoever, can, whoever carries them, this is all the source of impurity that have been mentioned in the topic of the Zav. Uh, yeah. It goes on, uh, it says, they're being carried, makes a person impure, and he, in turn, makes his garments impure. So it's the same thing. Yeah, that's, that's literally what we just did. Yeah, that's this Rashi. Right, but in other words, the garments are made impure too. Yes. Whether you're riding on a saddle. Oh, but that's when you lifted it up. But now when you touched it. Good, 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 good. Good point. Oh, excellent. It gets more complicated. The map, the, right, we're splitting it again. In other words, if you touch the seat that the guy sat on, you and your garments become impure. If you touch the saddle that he rode on, only you and not your garments. But if you lifted the saddle, say goodbye to your little garment friends. I'm kidding, not goodbye, but your garments become impure. Excellent. Good. At Mark, that's the whole, yes, that's the point. Thank you for clarifying. That's the Chiddush. That's what Rashi's telling us, right? That typically if you touch riding gear, only you and not your garments become impure. But if you lift, if you carry the riding gear, see you later, alligator. Little red riding hood. I don't know what that means. Right, you lift, the, you carry the riding gear, boom, you become impure. Next, let's get back inside and let's check out the clarifications of Rashi. Rashi is very helpful here. Whomever the man with the discharge touches without the latter having rinsed his hands, here we go. While the man with the discharge has not yet immersed himself from his uncleanness, knows he hasn't gone to mikveh yet, and even if the discharge has ceased and the man counts seven days, as long as he has not yet immersed himself in a mikveh, he defiles with all aspects of his unclean, uh, uh, with all with all the aspects of his uncleanness. And the reason Scripture expresses the immersion of a man with the discharge as rinsing hands is to teach you that the hidden parts of the body, the mouth, are not required to be immersed only in the uncovered parts of the body, like the hands. Oh, look at this! Bombshell Rashi. You got to love this. The Torah tells us that the zav. He's called. Let's let's learn the term zav. The guy with the unhealthy venereal, watery, whatever it is, running discharge. That guy is called the zav. Right? It's a Hebrew word. It means, Zav means flow. The guy who's flowing, right? The discharge guy. The Zav. This, this Zav guy, he's impure for a number of days. Right? But let's say, as Rashi just said, let's say he is, um, you know, you got to wait those seven days. Which, we, by the way, we haven't yet discussed waiting seven days. But because we stopped the story to go back to Rashi. But he's going to have to wait seven days. And then go to mikvah. The whole thing of going to mikvah and waiting till evening was the other guy who touched the thing that this guy sat on. Are you with me? That's the other party. But the original party, the guy who's the Zav himself, he's got to wait seven days. Not one day. Not a night. He's got to wait seven days. What happens if there's no flow anymore? What happens if there was discharge and it's not discharging? Right? He's, he's, he's healthy. But he hasn't gone yet to mikvah. He still renders someone else impure. He touches him, still renders others impure. It, and how does the Torah refer to the fact that he has not yet, in this scenario, that he has not yet, he has not yet gone to mikvah? It says that he has not yet washed his hands. That means immersed in a mikvah. Why are we calling mikvah washing hands? So Rashi says, from here we derive an, a, an amazing, a very, very relevant law. That is, when you go to mikvah, right, you immerse your whole body in the water. That's the way mikveh is. It's not just a shower. It's at, you actually immerse your body. No, no separation. No, no. By the way, when you go to mikveh, nothing can separate between the water and the skin. So if there's anything, any uh, you know, 
any other thing that's covering the skin, it has to be removed before going into the mikvah. Otherwise, the mikvah doesn't work. But a person what? might... Huh? I'm sorry. I'm interrupting, but got a quick question, Rabbi Ari. Yeah, jump in. What about all the kebabis for beards? What are you going to do? Well, no, the beard is not considered to be a chatzitza. The beard is not considered to be a separation. It means something artificial. Like, I'm going to give an example. I mean, not that anyone should ever, you know, do a Band-Aid or something. I mean, again, just gross, right? But, like, imagine a band I mean, Band-Aids are not gross enough themselves, but, like, to go into a thing, right? So you can't wear a Band-Aid while, uh, or, or nail polish, right? Nail polish. I mean, I usually rock my goth black nail polish, but going to mikvah, you got to take that stuff off, right? Jump in because that would be a chatzitza separation. But now my question is this. For the sake of making sure the water touches everything, what about the inside of my mouth? Do I need to, do I need to like open up and let the water go in? That's the question on the table. Rashi says, the fact that the Torah refers to going to mikvah as washing the hands indicates that just like the hands are external so too, you only have to immerse the external. You don't have to open your mouth and let the water go in. Does that make sense? That's what Rashi just said. That's what Rashi just said. I don't mind pulling it up again. We'll look at Rashi. But this becomes a, 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 a foundational idea regarding mikvah, right? This teaches you that the hidden parts of the body, like the mouth, are not required to be immersed. Only the uncovered parts of the body, like the hands. How would you immerse the mouth? You would open up the mouth when you're underwater and you... Do not do that. That's not, that's not uh, the way we go to mikvah. All right. Earthenware. Quick Vessel. Point. Yes. Quick point. Yes. Rabbi Ari, I've got a note here from, a, uh, what is Taurus Kohanim? Yeah, it's the, uh, it's the Midrash on Vayikra, on Leviticus. It, it says, nevertheless, this is about the mouth, they must be cleaned of any imposition, such as food between the teeth, so uh. that the water would be able to touch them if it entered the cavity. Ah. Uh. Excellent. That is a good, that is a very important caveat. In other words, the teeth should be brushed and flossed before mikvah. Really? Yeah, because even though we don't, you know, do the immerse the mouth, so to speak, but it has to be ready for that immersion, so to speak, even if we don't actually do it. Now, earthenware vessel, uh, let's just, let's skip earthenware. We got, we've done a lot of, on earthenware vessel in the past. We get it. it. Once it becomes impure, you can't clean it. Fine. Let's talk about what you do. What, sorry. What about the guy himself? We've talked about everything else. The thing he sits on, the thing he lies down on, the thing he rides. The person who touches, sits on, rides the thing that he sat on, touched or rode. All right, we get it. What about him? What about the Zav? Here we go. When the man with the discharge is cleansed of his discharge, he shall count seven days for himself, for his purification. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like he's got to wait till that flow stops. And Joy, I think that's where the doctor visit probably would come in. Right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, then that heals. Then you count, it sounds like, then you count seven days for his purification. And then... He shall immerse his garments and immerse his flesh in spring water, and he shall be clean. That's, of course, the mikvah. And on the eighth day, oh, here we go. It's elaborate, not just mikvah. For the other people, it's mikvah that day, clean by night. For him, it's a whole thing. Got to get stop the flow, 
seven days, go to mikvah, and now on the eighth day, there's a ritual. He shall take for himself two turtle doves or two young doves and come before the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting and give them to the Kohen. And the Kohen shall make them one into a sin offering and one into a burnt offering. And the Kohen shall effect atonement for him from his discharge before the Lord. It sounds like this discharge is a sin. Yeah, I mean, it's a sin, atonement for, for him from his discharge? Oy, gewalt. What, what sin did he do if it's just a physical thing? Okay, let's see if we get some clarity from Rashi. If not, we'll have to go to other sources. And, and do some further, uh, further analysis. You got, oh, daily wisdom? Oh, you got something? All right, hold on. Let me do some Rashi's and then we're going to hear that. That's going to be a good conclusion. I love that. All right, now Rashi says seven days, as we suspected, seven clean days. You don't start counting from day one of the discharge. You count day one after the discharge ends. So you have seven clean days free of the uncleanness of a discharge i.e. he must not see any discharge during these seven days. All of them must be consecutive without any interruption of a discharge during these seven days, which means that if he, the discharge ends and then he starts counting, day one, day two, and the discharge continues or resumes, then that, you got to start again. The count, you can't, you can't then, uh, and then, it, and then let's say discharge for one day and then you have a clean day again. That's not day three. That starts day one. You can't, combine days with a discharge in the middle. It's got to be seven consecutive days of no discharge. And then you go to mikvah. And then on the eighth day, you do the, uh, the bird offering, sin offering thing. Okay, now Rashi doesn't help us with this sin offering because there's no Rashi on it. So this is where Joy comes in. Joy, take it away. What you got? Okay, so I think that basically the daily wisdom is focusing on the discharge not being intentional. Okay. And so even if it comes from his body, it can uh, render him uh, defiled. So even if it's inadvertent, so Got it. it would go to your thoughts. Sometimes mm. your thoughts get so negative, it overtakes your body and overtakes all of your influence. And you do things against your will because you have such negative thoughts. So the Torah offers a person... Suffering from non-seminal discharge is the opportunity to regain ritual purity by offering up appropriate sacrifice. The same applies to someone who has unfortunately overly immersed himself in negative ways of thinking. He must never despair of Interesting. himself. Interesting. Interesting. Even if he feels that negativity is gaining the upper hand, he can always overcome it and reinstate his former innocence. I love that. So I think the way I'm hearing that is it's almost like a, a subconsciousness that is influenced by our consciousness, but it's not something that we chose, you know, willfully to engage in, but it's just a seminal discharge. I mean, not a seminal discharge. It's just a, an unhealthy discharge that just happened. But if you think about it, how did it just, I don't mean the physical thing, but like, how did it just happen? Maybe also, I don't know, but I'm not a doctor, but like, how did the unhealthy thing happen? Um, uh, you know, somebody says, I made a mistake, but how did you make a mistake? You know, I, by accident, how did the accident happen? If not for something that, you know, inside, I said something, I did something. There's, there's some sort of subconscious Freud would love this insight, some sort of, uh, thing inside that's driving it, even if we're not aware of it. In other words, we're putting ourselves in a context, in a situation where we're being influenced and then it's coming out. And then we're like, I don't know. I don't even know how that happened, but it's what we put in. That's really coming out on some level. I think that's kind of what it's saying. But the, 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 what it's actually saying is that even in that scenario, 
where the influence is so deep, so like deeply embedded that we're not even aware, but it's still coming out, there's still a way to heal from that. I think that's the, the point of it, that you can still heal from those subconscious thoughts that are not born of, you know, hocus pocus, but of like the things that we immerse our thoughts in that we're not even like consciously thinking, you know, I'm going to think about this and then do that. It's I'm just thinking. And then some stuff comes out. Ay, 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 now what? Okay, you can heal from that also. That's the point. We can even undo that type of deeply embedded stuff that manifests itself kind of, you know, subconsciously. That also can be fixed. So that, that represents a deeper purge, purging something that's embedded a little bit deeper. It's easier, look, let's talk about clothing, right, and stains. It's easy to get out a superficial stain. Something is like deep inside, it's a little harder to get out. We're suggesting here that this is a bit of a deeper, it's a bit of a deeper mark on the person, right? Because it's coming out in a subconscious way. It's coming out without intent, without thought, without conscious thought, because it's so deep inside. Okay, so that, but that still can be pulled out with the right formula, the right process. All right, that's it for today. All right, so today was all about the Zav. Today was all about the Zav, that um, the impure, unhealthy flow. By the way, tomorrow we talk about a seminal discharge. And there it's only until evening. Yep. What's next week's portion? And that's the, one second, one second, one second. And that is the contrast, obviously. This today was the unhealthy venereal discharge. Tomorrow is the typical or whatever, the not unhealthy, sem, the not unhealthy seminal discharge. One requires all sorts, one renders you know, much higher degrees of impurity and requires the individual himself to undergo a seven-day clean period before mikvah. And in this case, he just goes to mikvah and he is impure until evening. Um, by the way, all right, whatever. I mean, I don't know if we have to get into it. The question was asked, so what, but you still need the evening. And the answer might be true. I, I know I gave a different answer before about, you know, difference today versus yesterday. But even, even, even if we stick with that, right, uh, till evening, it also could be fine. It also could be okay. Anyway, I think, I think that makes sense also. And how much longer are we talking, you know, how many... Just till the end, yeah, to the end of this, to end of this week. In other words, tomorrow yeah, we'll yeah, wrap it up, yeah. and then next week, um, Acharemos, Acharemot. So next week, the portion talks about, it, it opens, oh, very interesting. It opens, I'm just trying to remember, it opens with discussion of the protocol on Yom Kippur. What's done, the service of Yom Kippur in the Holy of Holies. And then it talks about relationships, forbidden relationships. The second half, the last half of that portion. And I'm sure there's other stuff in between. Those are the two highlights. Highlights, whatever. Those are the two like major themes. Yeah, Leviticus is an interesting book. You know that the narrative of Torah is easy to, I mean, easier to follow. Yeah, creation, Noah and the flood, you know, Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, Exodus, you know, it's like Moses, plagues, splitting the sea. It's like, this is like, you know, we're getting into the laws and these laws are unfamiliar. A lot of them are involved with the temple and, 
you know, things that are not currently, you know, front, front, front and, um, and, and center of Jewish practice. So yeah, it's a little harder to, to make our way through Leviticus, but it's Torah. And each piece, as we've seen, as Joy mentioned today, each piece has a, has a spiritual analog as well. Um, oh, Sarah's asking, did I miss something about a sacrifice? I saw it in Rashi. And Joy said something as well. Hold on. What do we say about sacrifice? Let me just double check. Um, trying to remember what we said. I don't think we said something specifically about the, about the sacrifice. Yeah, there's nothing on it yet. It's, it's down at the end today. Um, 14 and 15. They talk about... Right. The two turtle doves, the two young doves, the sin offering, the burnt offering... But I don't see a Rashi on that. At least, yeah. It was at the end of the discharge thing. We passed over it. We went through the front and then at the very last sentence on Rashi. I don't have a computer to pull it up. Okay, one second. Let me see if I can find it. Hold on. Let's see. Um, what I see here is... Counting consecutive days. Look, the one, the verse that talk about the sacrifice are here. And I don't see a Rashi on that, but I'm trying to see if, the, if there was a Rashi before that that talks about the, the sacrifice. I can't find it. I'll find it. I'll look later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we can pick that in. Let's start with that tomorrow then. Um, okay, so tomorrow we talk about the... Um, the laws of the seminal discharge. Then we talk about um, laws regarding intimacy and a woman's uh, uh, parallel forms, if you will, parallel forms of, impu- of, of impurity, of tumma for women, as I, meant, I you know, mentioned it very briefly today. And then um, that, is, that is that. Okay. All right. That's it for today. So what's the moral of the story? Moral of the story is we can address the, the influences that influence us in subtle ways. Even those can be influenced. Right? We'll stick with that. It's a good one. Okay. See y'all. Have a wonderful rest of the day. No class or event tonight, I believe. I don't believe anything tonight. Tomorrow, DBP at noon. Same bad time, same bad channel. Don't forget Pesach is nary a week away if that's the right phrase um so you know make sure you have arrangements or friends you know help you know if you want to you can connect them with uh the community seder that we're doing if you need any other pesach you know assistance or insight or whatever it is i'm happy to help in any way that i can and otherwise uh hopefully it's a good a good prep and lead into the holiday all right see you all soon take care everybody All right, bye, Joy, bye, Donna, bye, Ray, bye, Mark, bye, Sarah. Take care, everybody.